0: Hello everybody, this is Queer Voices, a home-produced podcast that has grown out of a radio show that's been on the air in Houston, Texas for several decades. This week, Deborah Moncrief-Bell has a conversation with Brian Keith Wilson about an edgy new play in Houston called Strapped, and about playwriting and producing in general.
1: The one thing I love about the playwriting process is the journey. It is a journey. It's not just let me write a play today, let me produce it tomorrow, and then I'm going to Broadway. That's not how it works, kids. It is a journey. It's I think I think of the playwriting phase like creating a baby.
0: Then Deborah has a conversation with Houston actors Deborah Hope and Joel Sandell about a lot of things, including Deborah and Joel's YouTube channel Car Takes.
2: I want to at Lady Lady Macbeth. Oh. That is another one. is like my my dream is to play that before I die. Well, go ahead. Sorry, Richard. the second
3: uh, Yeah, yeah. but that's all. That, that I made the point. Oh, okay. Before, <laughs> before you interrupt.
2: <laughs> right me. Or, well, you know, I'm at the age now. If I don't interrupt, then I, I my thought is gone.
0: And we have news wrap from this way out with breaking news about the mass shooting at the Club Q in Colorado Springs. Queer Voices starts now.
4: The Houston community is mourning the passing of Arden Eversmeyer, a pioneer, a historian, The founder of Lesbians Over Age 50 and the Old Lesbians Organizing for Change. She was a fine and genteel woman, but she was also a firebrand, and she's going to be greatly missed, not only in Houston, but for the impact that she had on the larger community. Within a few weeks, we will do a special tribute to Arden. And I know that many are mourning her passing and we all offer condolences.
0: is queer voices
4: This is Deborah Moncrief Bell we're talking with the director of a new play premiering here in Houston Brian Keith Wilson. Brian, I'm so excited for many reasons about this play. I mean I find your background and the background of your co-playwright, Dr. Arela Johnson intriguing. Give me just a little bit of background about yourself and how you came to be involved with this project.
1: I always say I'm a little old boy from the south of Lamarck, Texas. I'm a graduate of Lamarck High School, Sam State University. I started theater at a young, ripe age, and I knew that this was the place that I wanted to you know, live for the rest of my life because the opportunity of, one, dressing up and playing make-believe, but then also the older I got, the more interested I was in just storytelling and telling other people's stories. After finished college, I worked professionally in the theater, but then also I started to see that there were spaces within the commercial theater that didn't fit for me. One of the things they say, if they don't have it, make it for yourself. And so I started producing theater off-Broadway at the Rockefeller Center, Variety Cafe at the Rockefeller Center. And that's when I kind of found my voice to speak about things that are going on within our world, things about social change. And that's kind of when all of that started. And of course, ups and downs of the business. Now we're here in COVID, in a pandemic, still trying to create theater and still trying to adjust to that. So I've been really blessed to be able to be on this journey and be able to create. My the last show that I just did was for Color Boys on the verge of a nervous breakdown, when freedom ain't enough. And we did a world premiere of that at the Fulton Theater. And that's kind of been the trajectory of my career for these last couple of years. So I'm really excited to see what's next and to see what's next with this new play called Strap.
4: Was that kind of a take in Shaki's strong gaze for color girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough? An homage.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She's been a cornerstone in my career and, you know, just one of those mentors in my head just because of how she changed the trajectory of avant-garde theater or as we talk about experimental theater. I started writing these poems during the Michael Brown fiasco and I didn't know what to do with them. And so I decided to create a choreo poem and the choreo poem centered men of color, their voices.
4: It seems to me, and we can't call it the Harlem Renaissance because it's not happening in Harlem, but it sure is happening in Houston. And perhaps you have a perspective on if it's happening in other places in the country, but there is a Black Renaissance happening. And it seems like there's just more productions, more Black and other people of color creatives that are producing magnificent works in every aspect of the theatrical sphere from singing, dancing, acting, writing, and producing. And I think telling those stories with, and I'm going to use this term, those people being the ones sharing the story. And the truth about their lives and their experiences is just a very precious gift for us.
1: I absolutely agree with you. We've been seeing a surgence of playwrights these last couple of years that has been off the charts and a couple of those playwrights, Brian Eglin, Chris Eli Black. I mean, we're seeing so many newer voices. Of course, we have those voices like Dominic Morso, Jacqueline Bio, those that have been doing it in the business, but we have definitely seen that renaissance. Here in Houston as well, we have Alrick Davis, who's creating some great work. And of course, all of the great work that's happening at the Ensemble Theater, there has been a lot of new works, and especially new works centering the events that are going on in our world. And one of the things that I say as a playwright, I kind of think of what Nina Simone said as a songwriter and performer. She said that as an artist, her job is to reflect the times in which we're living. And so many artists are doing that. And they have the permission, because now they're not waiting on anyone to tell their stories. They're doing it themselves.
4: And certainly we just had the monumental success of Plum Sugar at stages with Debra Dipluton and Harrison Homer Guy being two of the creatives behind that, plus such an immensely talented cast. And you use this term, this choreo poem. Explain
1: what that is. That term was invented in the early 70s by Ntozake Shange herself. And that term pretty much inculminating poetry, dance, and music all in one aspect to tell whatever the story is in that moment. Because a lot of the times within choreo poems, we don't have a linear narrative. And so it's little vignettes. And so those little vignettes are used with poetry, music, and dance to tie each one together.
4: It makes for a very intriguing evening. Tell me a little bit more about how this new play came about. It's called Strapped, and Strapped is spelled in the title with a small s and then a capital T, Strapped. Give me a little bit of a background of how come that title? It's about some people come to see a play of yours. It's supposed to be a play about gun violence the stage manager comes on and says the performance is canceled and then people get upset and then some other things begin to happen. Some things are revealed. So set that scenario a little bit about what's going on.
1: I have to take you all the way back to the beginning. When I was offered this opportunity, a commission, one of the things I've been waiting for as a playwright is a commission. And one of my ex-students, Mr. Ian Haddock, who is the president CEO of the normal anomaly initiative here in Houston, he approached me with this opportunity of information that he had from Dr. Aurelia Johnson. She'd been conducting research and trying to create a study. And so of course, when I got the idea, I was like, well, I can't come to the table writing the d- play because we just got off of this wonderful social justice theater piece with the color boys. I'm like, so how is this going to work in? And I met with Dr. Johnson and we started talking. We started throwing creative ideas back and forth. And we started delving deeper into the stories of some of her patients that she was interviewing. In the midst of that, we created this play called Strapped. And there was Strapped had always been an idea entitled with Dr. Johnson and Ian. So we came up with this story of these seven people coming to the theater, expecting to see this show on gun violence. And then all of a sudden, they're kind of trapped in the theater and the only way they're going to be released from the theater is for them to delve into those dark hidden desires of theirs and we kind of have this character called the voice who's this omnipresent godlike character that's controlling the whole space like a chessboard
4: Dr. Johnson has done a lot of work about sexuality, and in particular, female sexuality. So I was very interested in exactly how the two of you collaborated to bring this about. What was the creative process? How did you work?
1: Of course, because of my schedule with the world premiere of, for Colored Boys, I had been flying back and forth from Houston to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then New York City as well. It was kind of hard for us to have them old school, sit down at the desk or the table writing powwow. So we used the wonderful technological advances that we have via Zoom and cell phone, and we started creating this play. What she did with her research, she shared with me different audio files that she had of different subjects that were a part of her research. What I did, I would listen to that. I would think that all of a sudden, just hearing these stories, it would propel me into creating characters. And that's how we started the process. We would bounce back and forth ideas. And we would just, we literally set up an outline of the show. She tackled some characters, I tackled some, and then I would come back and do my little theatrical, as my my second mom calls it, my BKW stank. She said, I put that BKW stank on those parts of the play to bring all of those things together. And From the first time that we finished it and read it, we were like, okay, we got something here. We know that we need to workshop it. We know that we need to figure out what we're dealing with or what we have. And so that's what we did. We wrote the play, we finished our first draft. And after we did that first draft, we went into the workshop process. I'm an old school playwright like August Wilson, and August Wilson did that as well. So whenever he would write something, he would put it in the workshop phase. And so that's where we are right now with workshopping the script, trying to figure out what this show is. And how is the show going to work with certain audiences? And we're really excited about our workshop production that we have coming up the first week in December.
4: This is kind of a test drive and
1: it could go other places, right? Absolutely. And that's the one thing I love about the playwriting process is the journey. It is a journey. It's not just let me write a play today. Let me produce it tomorrow. And then I'm going to Broadway. That's not how it works, kids. It is a journey. It's I think I think of the playwriting phase of like creating a baby, and that's where we're at right now. We're trying to create this baby.
4: Tell me a little bit more about the normal anomaly.
1: The normal anomaly has been a wonderful saving grace for the Black and Brown LGBTQ community in Houston and abroad. If you see Ian has been jet setting all over the United States with advocacy and youth training and doing all these different things with this platform that he has of the normal anomaly. And the normal anomaly has been doing such great things as monkeypox testing and vaccinations and just being able to be that beacon within the community. And spread abroad. So I'm really excited to have this opportunity to work with such a great, powerful Black queer initiative that is in the community.
4: Tell me a little bit more about the play and some of the people that are going to be performing in it.
1: We have nine fabulously talented performers that are in this show. In our cast, we have so many different levels people that have been away from the theater for a long time and now they're coming back. People that have done theater in certain aspects of their lives, but now they're wanting to do it on a professional level. And so we have great characters. We have Diamantina Browdy, who's the voice. Cameron King, who plays Dr. Victoria, we call her V. Tatrian White, plays the character bell and we have the fabulous eden rose torres who's playing ashlyn and many people may know of eden and her advocacy for trans rights within the community abroad and also what she does with pride portrait we're so proud and excited to have her come in and have a woman of trans experience voice in this place that's one of the things that i'm really really excited about for this character we have Demetrius singleton who plays Dwayne, cadero Berryman, who plays pj Johnny Myers, who plays Dylan Troche, Monique Pickram plays Sharon, and we have our fabulous female understudy, Jacqueline Harris. So you have these eight different characters, and then this voice that's manipulating them, and they're trying to figure out: Do I let my guards down? Do I tell my desires? Do I tell my trauma? Do I speak upon it? And as the show progresses, I don't want to tell you too much because I want you to come and see the show, but you definitely get to get a sense of what's going on with each and every character. Every one of them have something going on, honey.
4: As is true in life. Each of these people, I guess among those people, you have just about every kind of sexual and gender identity combination that you can think of within that group. And I understand that this might be considered to have an R rating,
1: Absolutely. Yes. It it definitely has an R rating just because of the subject matter that we're dealing with. We're dealing with molestation. And then, of course, we're talking about sex as well. So with that being the subject, that's where our rating is and, and the content that we'll be providing.
4: I remember something that said, what would happen if women told the truth about their lives, that this is a version of that? I'm thinking that probably in this sharing that takes place, there's some kind of resolution in the end. What do you think are some of the high points of the play?
1: That gender identity, sexuality is not predicated on genitalia. One of the biggest high points for me is the trans visibility of the character Ashlyn and how she's seen and not afraid to tell her truth. And to speak boldly about it. And that's one of the high points of the show for me. I really think as the playwright and director and some of the moments that we're creating with her and the character Belle, who's our non-binary character in the show, that we run the gamut of gender identity and sexuality within this play.
4: The play is opening on December 2nd and only has a few performances through the 4th at the Shrine of the Black Madonna, which is at 5309 Martin Luther King Boulevard, kind of over in that arts area of Londell and Wayside and over in that direction. This is Deborah Moncrief Bell, and I'm talking to Brian Keith Wilson, the playwright of Strap. A new play premiering in Houston the weekend of December 2nd through 4th. What do you most want people to know about coming to see this play and what you hope they get
1: from it? One of the things that I hope people understand and know is to see each other, see each other for who they are, see each other for whatever their gender identity or sexuality is, and then after you see them, listen to them, and try to gain an understanding of that person's story, where they've been, where they are, and where they're going. That's the biggest thing that I would love for our audience to get from that is to see each other.
4: Well, I'm very excited about this. I look forward to its uh, performances here in Houston and hearing about the reception of it and what might happen next. Is there anything else you would like people to know before we leave?
1: The one thing that I definitely want your listeners to to realize is that what we do in the theater, we cannot do without you. We cannot do it without you in the seats. So Coming to see our play strapped is a blessing and a huge thank you, but go see live theater. We need more people in the theater, in the seats, and we just hope that we have platforms like this that are pushing people to come see our show specifically, but even more so some of the great theater that's going on here in Houston. Some of the great theater that's going on at our major houses, such as Tuts and those major regional theaters, but also think about those smaller theater companies that are here in Houston that are producing great work.
4: We're talking about the play Strapped. They'll be at the Shrine of the Black Madonna. And how do people get more information and tickets?
1: You can log on to our website, which is www.strappedtheplay.com. And it has everything there about our bios, our synopsis of the show. And then also you have a tab where you can click in and purchase your ticket. Website again is www.strapped.com theplay.com and we thank Houston for being a part of this journey for Strap the Play
4: Thank you for being with us today on Queer Voices
0: Coming up next on Queer Voices Deborah has a conversation with the guys from the YouTube channel Car Takes
4: This radio program, We Are Voices, has existed since the 1970s on KPFT. We have this little crew of folks working every week to produce what's no longer unique because we're almost mainstream now, but we're still an important voice that might not otherwise get heard because it's not on that many places. So KPFT is very important to give voices to those who might not otherwise have voices. So as Glenn always says, you participate by listening. You should also participate by supporting the station. So please go to kpf.t.org and make your donation right away. This is Deborah Moncrief Bell, and tonight it seems like. It's all about theater, and that's really wonderful because Houston has such a vibrant theatrical scene, and I think it has rather exploded over the last several years. And we have two members of that scene, Deborah Hope and Joel Sandell. They've both been active in the Houston theater scene for a number of years, and Joel- A number
1: I, of decades.
4: A number of decades, Deborah clarifies. <laughs> yeah. Clark- yeah. <laughs> Great name, by the way, Deborah. Deborah, you have had particularly comedy as your forte.
2: Correct. The very first thing I ever tried when I even went into entertainment was stand-up comedy. That was the very first thing I ever tried. And then I was in an improv group, and then it grew from that. And she's sitting down now, though.
4: But she'll still be funny. Both of you, I want to know, how did you come to the business of show?
3: I kind of backed into it, <laughs> yeah, so to speak. I was a musician for junior high and high school. And that was, I was going to be a classical trombonist when I left school. And, but I'd always done, I'd always been asked to do musicals. And when I was in school, but I never thought about pursuing it. And after starting college as a music major, I thought, uh, I'm not feeling this anymore. And uh, my father actually suggested that I take up acting. So I did, and all the rest is history, as they say.
4: A classical trombonist—I uh, I had no idea that there was even such a thing.
3: Well, you know, there are trombonists in the orchestra. Well, of know, course there are, yes, but yes, I yeah.
4: just—I I just don't think of that as right. Uh, right. So, <laughs> and how curious that that's the way you started and and ended up being uh, primarily an actor. And you don't really consider, neither one of you consider yourself so much singers, but uh, Joel in particular, you've done a lot of musical theater.
3: I've considered myself pretty much as much a singer as I do an actor. Because when I, in high school also, I was also in choir, and I was in all-state choir in Texas in 1979. So, yeah, I I do sing.
2: He, he is an actual singer. I'm what they call an actor who sings. I can, uh, I have an ear. I can stay on pitch, but I don't have a strong voice. It's fine, but it's just not like a, like you would want to hear on stage. And Joel has that kind of voice. Aww. So he is uh, a actor singer. I'm an actor who sings.
4: Well, you've got a lot going on more than I do when it comes to that department, because I have, <laughs> the only thing I can play is the radio. Um, <laughs> I know you from your YouTube show, Car Takes, and we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. Okay. Uh, but I somehow, and, and I know I have seen you both perform at different times, but My gaydar was not registering, and I did not realize that Joel identifies as a gay man. And then later I said, oh, yeah, he was in this and he was in that. But I always blame the Montrose Center because when I worked there, my gaydar got messed up and, and, (laughs) and, and people that I thought were straight were not.
2: Joel has played a lot, uh, a lot of leading men, straight characters. So uh, that I, I can see why people, people think that we're married. Yeah. Um, yes, so, I
4: di- I did. I thought, oh, oh they're okay. married, and then and then when I went and investigated a little bit, I'm like, oh, not only are they not married, but <laughs> <laughs> and Joel, you've also played women, including done, being I've a done, nun.
3: Yeah, I've done three of Charles Bush's women. Which were great fun. Uh, yeah, you're talking about uh, The Divine Sister, which was the last one that I did, which was so much fun.
2: He makes a beautiful woman. Oh, that's
3: so true. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it is true. It, it's, it's a hand, <laughs> both of you are very attractive people. I love Charles Bush. I'm
3: yeah. a big, oh,
4: yeah. I'm oh a huge God. fan. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm very anxiously awaiting for his memoir to come out. Anyone who doesn't know who Charles Bush is, look him up and, and you will be delighted. I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that people actually can make a living doing theater in Houston. But just as we were talking with Brian Keith Wilson, Houston has this very vibrant and very exciting theatrical scene going on with not just uh, things like the alley and the ensemble and stages but main street and fourth wall and dirt dogs and uh, all these other oh, yeah. in- Rec room. what are your thoughts about that of, of why that's happening or what's going on with that it's kind of been
3: building. You know, Houston took a long time for the theater bug to kind of hit. And once it did, it started really growing. And we're always getting new companies, getting them every year. They don't always last, but we've, at this point, we've had more stick around for longer stretches of time than any other time that I can remember.
2: And there's so much talent in the city yeah. now. So they're taking advantage of all the younger people right. coming up, which is part of it. So, Of course, you're going to open a theater if you have, if you know 50 fabulous performers. Right. So that's another part of it, too. It's just there's so much talent in Houston. Right. And it's so diverse.
4: Yeah, very. Anymore.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
4: This is a question for each of you. What was your most challenging role?
2: I think my, my most challenging role was the one, the last one I did at Stages, which was NSFW. Because it was a straight character playing my age, and she was a the head of a think Vogue magazine, and she's a bit of a predator, so not funny. Although the 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 play, you know, certainly humorous, but it it was that was the most challenging that I had to play somebody like that who just had it together and was going after these uh, younger men.
4: Nothing like the real-life Deborah Ho.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And, Joel, for you? Well, I've had so
3: many that have been real challenges. But, yeah, uh, I think the most recent one certainly was RFK, where I played Bobby Kennedy. Mm -hmm. It was a one-man show that was—I was very proud of it. It was an important message. We did it—mounted it originally before the 2016 presidential election— in the hopes that we would inspire Democrats to get to the polls and get Hillary in office. But that didn't happen, you know. But RFK, definitely. And and Bobby Kennedy's always been a, an idol of mine. So that was a it was a challenge and a privilege.
4: And is there a role that you would like to play that you haven't yet? Well, I have a
2: role coming up in the spring that I'm very nervous about because it is so out of my wheelhouse, but I'm very excited about it. Which is August, Osage County, and I'm Violet, who's a, an alcoholic and a drug addict and a bit of a bully.
4: <laughs> Where will that be?
2: That uh, Dirt Dogs is doing that, and that will be at the match.
3: And Joel, for you? My go-to in the last few years has always been Richard II. Shakespeare's Richard II.
2: Oh, can I say that too? I not Richard the Second. I want to Lady Lady Macbeth. Oh. That is another one. Is like my my dream is to play that before I die. Well, go ahead. Sorry, Richard the Yeah,
3: <laughs> but that's all. That, that I made the point. Oh, okay, be- yeah. be- <laughs> before you interrupt. Before
2: inter- well, you know, the, I'm at the age now. If I don't interrupt, then I, I my thought is gone. We saw Belfast
3: November 10th and in an impromptu moment outside the theater. We did a little video where we basically did what we're doing now on Car Takes, which is letting folks know what we thought of the film. So then a few weeks later on November 18th, we went to see House of Gucci. And on my way to the theater that night, as I was driving, I was thinking about us doing that video for the Brana thing. I had this epiphany. It's like, you know, we could talk about it in the car. And then I started thinking about the the old show Car Talk. On NPR. And I thought, well, we just do car takes because we're doing our take on whatever we're seeing from the car. I suggested it to Deborah when I got to the theater that, and she said, okay. And then after the movie, we got out in the car and uh, did our first car take. And the rest, as they say, Dury. is hersery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Car Takes with Deborah and Joel. The Fablemans oh by my gosh. Steven Spielberg. Oh, my gosh. It is the great Spielberg film. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, my God, I love this movie. If you love film, oh. if you love any Steven Spielberg movie, I yeah. don't know how you yeah. couldn't. This is an origin story. Yeah. Uh, his origin story. It's, a, it's an homage to film. It's an homage to his
3: family. Yeah, yeah, um,
4: yeah, And There you go. And how did the two of you originally meet? Oh my God. That's hard. I don't. That is hard.
2: Uh, We did it. We were doing a
4: murder mystery, a murder mystery,
2: kind of an improv uh, thing.
3: I've I've got it. Can I? I? Yes. Because it's my story. It's your story. Because I tell this all the time. My first memory of Deborah. Now, whether or not we may have met before this, I don't know. It's possible. But my first memory of Deborah was doing this improv murder mystery thing. And in the context of the improv, I was this sort of meek guy character and she was this sort of type a highly driven woman and in character and we're in this ball we're in a ballroom so in the character i go up to her to ask her a question and she's focused on something else so i have pulled her away from whatever she was focused on and she turned and she lit into me in character in a way that i cannot even describe to you but it was thrilling and terrifying <laughs> and all i could think was who is this woman? I love her. <laughs> so yeah, that was that, and that was probably 1994. Oh yeah, that yeah. Was.
4: And then shortly, a friendship developed, and immediately. Yeah. How much time do the two of you spend together? Do you think too much?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say not enough. Huh. That's funny. That's yeah. Well, we I would say we're we're probably out together at least three or four nights a week. Yeah parties that we go to parties sometimes so that'll do it but he's absolutely my best friend
4: so it's uh don't you
2: want to say something too
3: very very dear person to me
4: (laughs) (laughs) see how the two of you are for anyone who doesn't know explain exactly what car takes is in the context of it might be a movie it might be a play it might be an opera you go see it together, which I'm very jealous of, the amount of theater that the two of oh, you get to see. And yeah. then you do this short little review afterwards, mm. sitting in the car, usually about five to six minutes. Mm-hmm. And do you consider yourself critics?
2: No. No, absolutely not. We uh, call ourselves supporters, boosters. Promoters. Uh, promoters, admirers. What we want to
3: to do, and primarily when we're doing theater reviews, Mm -hmm. we want folks to go out and see this stuff. Because this is the thing, and it's it's the reason why we don't do... For one thing, since we are professional actors ourselves, there's an ethics question if we actually got into criticism, quote-unquote. When we started this, I was telling Deborah, I said, How many times have we all been to see something with a friend and seen the same play or movie and had completely different reactions to it? One of us loved it. One of us hated it. And I would never want to be the person responsible for keeping someone away from something that they might actually really enjoy. So our point is get out, see whatever's out there and enjoy it or not. But it's being part of the art scene that's so important right now.
4: Of course, you both are just totally charming in these. I sat there and I just laugh because your enthusiasm comes through and your appreciation.
3: Sometimes our, our enthusiasm runs away with us.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Being trained professionals, you probably do look at it all through a slightly different lens than Absolutely. just the average yeah. person. So I would think that could make you be more critical. Have you seen anything that you just felt like you couldn't review?
3: Yeah. yes there have been a couple of
2: things not many
4: thank not many. goodness yeah.
2: but yes and then we just don't we don't even or or if it's something where he felt one way and i felt a different way we'll still find something yeah. good about that one but when we both agree that th- that was you know terrible we yeah, actually
3: the 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 two things so we didn't review we didn't even stay for the second
2: act yeah but that is a very, very rare. rare yeah yeah, yeah.
4: What have you enjoyed the most this last year, as far as what's Jeez. been available oh in theater? Oh my god!
2: That's I, you know, so it's hard. always the last thing that we saw. I, I would say, uh, oh my gosh, that's a very hard question. Seascape was certainly freaking brilliant. In the Last year, I'd have to go through my yeah. to see what I saw. To, to oh oh, uh,
3: uh, uh, born with teeth.
2: That was the yeah. Shakespeare and um, with Marla, Dylan Godwin
3: in
4: at the alley
2: that or they're taking
4: they're that.
3: taking it to minneapolis yeah not, yeah
2: you
4: know. yeah exactly and you were very excited about the production of Six, yes. which, Oh my god which
2: i loved it I well to marry it i loved it
4: and <laughs> it made me wish i could have gone to see it it deals with the, the six women who had been married to King Henry VIII, and right. you make this point that we largely know in this society King Henry VIII because of the women that he was married to. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, and Other, this production they wouldn't talk about it. Right, and this production is very woman-centric, and it's- Oh, it's completely um, woman-centric, yeah. And and it's uh, avant-garde, and it's edgy, and it just sounds like- And it's poppy, and it's
3: fun, and it's- It's like a big, glitzy Vegas show. Yeah. That's got, it's full
4: of history. But I understand that both of you are what would be called Tutorophiles- tutor files p- yeah, yeah, yeah tutor yeah.
2: files I made
4: that Is and Joel you even one of the first things you did you want to tell that story about your involvement
3: how did you find out about the, if you're talking about what I think you're thought uh, talking about you you have done your research when I was in sixth grade I wrote a play called the first three wives of Henry VIII because I had just seen the, the Keith Michelle uh, PBS series and I was fascinated by it and as I was just talking about, I was fascinated by the women. I was fascinated by Kathleen uh, captain and Anne Boleyn and Jane Seymour. I wasn't as into the last three wives. I didn't understand the politics and the situation of the last three wives, as much as I did the first three in sixth grade. So that's why I just made it about the first three. So I played Henry in this little, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, Oh Lord. I, I came across that play. I've still got it. I, about five or six years ago and i read it i cringed so hard <laughs> i i couldn't stand it but yeah i know I've, I've always been a huge tutor file elizabethan that, yeah, that, that, that era mm-hmm. yeah was well, that the story you were referring to
4: yes how exactly. did you know about that i think it's on your website oh maybe it is i tried to find out as much as i could you know i'm Friends with you on Facebook. And so the uh, whatever your latest thing is pops up. And so I watch it. And what are some of the things that you've seen that you really want to recommend besides six?
3: Seascape is still playing. So I would say go see Seascape if you had a chance to see that at the alley. Classical Theater Company just opened The Marriage Figaro uh, with a performance by Craig Daly that I cannot even <laughs> just hilariously funny.
2: Is Rec Room still
5: there? Rec Room is, is this closed?
3: week, I think the 12th. They, oh, I think it's maybe, today. Today, maybe. To today. Oh, no, but they extended because they had. Oh, the,
2: yay! Yes,
3: yeah, because rec, room, of the game. rec Room is doing Put, Put Your, Your House, House in, in order, order, which is a really spooky, realistic, post apocalyptic kind of thing.
2: And
4: Oh, Plum Sugar at Stages? Stages, that's- yeah. Yeah, I think it closed Sunday. When this airs, that would have ended, but it has legs, I think, and it probably will oh, go on.
2: I agree. It was an amazing that I, that yeah. just filled me with so much emotion, yeah. and yeah. I can't even imagine what it would do for young black girls seeing that because that story is just it's brave and amazing, and I'm so appreciative that she put it out there because right. it's triumphant.
4: I felt like that it was brilliant on so many levels um, mm-hmm. and, and the performers, especially those younger people. I'm, I oh, was just oh, mes- totally mesmerized at that. And I feel really fortunate that we are in Houston with two things, a thriving foodie scene and yeah. a thriving theater scene. If people want to follow you for car takes, what do they yes. need to do? They need
3: to go to YouTube and search Car Takes with Deborah and Joel, and subscribe. And subscribe. Oh, and we've also uh, we just recently we've done three now. What we call Car Takes Car Chats, where we have a guest in the car and we chat them up. We talked to Crystal Ray and John Rayleigh,
2: and also the cast of Oh, Music Box, Box Theater. Theater.
3: That was one of my favorite. That was we so ever did. fun because they yeah.
2: piled into the back one by one. And-
4: you are not unopposed to kissing women when it's called for in a play.
3: Oh, no, no. I've done it. And, you know, it's...
4: <laughs> I've so done it and an lived actor. to tell about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: he makes it very believable. So, it, hes it's good. He's an actor. He's an oh, actor.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, is there anything else you want our listeners to know about? Car takes about your career's? Anything you well want. I
3: think you know what I want to piggyback on your last guest. again just to reiterate get to the theater take a friend if you're a theater goer and you know someone that doesn't go introduce them to the theater. I really do feel like we are we have a ra- uh, opportunity right now to increase the theater audience in Houston in a major way because there's so many entertainment options at home on your cell phone or through cable or whatever your provider gives you that it's nice to have somewhere where you don't have that. You have to sit down and you don't have to maybe think, well, I don't want to stay with this. I'll try something else. You, know, you sit and you give over completely to what's being presented to you. And there's just nothing else like it. And I think folks that haven't really given theater a chance, if they will, they will find that it's really soul restoring mm-hmm. in so many ways.
2: And and bring the children and the yeah, young people yeah. there and get them interested. I, I remember the first play that I, I was older and my parents hadn't taken me, but the school had taken us to see a show. And I was absolutely mesmerized by everything that was happening yeah. on stage. And that was kind of the I mean I was always a performer as a child. But I, this was, I, I think I would like to do that. You want to tell them how that? you didn't
3: walk through the chair?
2: <laughs> I was, I, it was high school and I was auditioning for a musical that they were doing. And, and it was Oliver. The, oh, it was Oliver. Because uh, my sister was in it. I mean, I got to be in the chorus, but the part of the audition process, and this is absolutely wrong. I found out later, but at the time I was like, oh, okay. The director set a chair in the middle and said, well, just walk across the room for me. And then I walked across the room and around the chair and they were not happy that I walked around the chair because the chair is there and I told you to walk straight. So you should walk straight through that chair.
3: But that's what your Um, sister did. But
2: that's what my sister did. My sister walked right through the chair and was moving the chair along with her. And she got the part of Nancy. Nancy and i was in the chorus because i i walked around the chair yeah <laughs> so he thought well you're not following direction which is the opposite of what you do sure. you, you play what's on stage right. if something happens you don't pretend it's not happening right. Well director
4: I don't know what my first exposure to performing was exactly, but I mean, live theater is just like something so precious to me. Um, And I took speech and drama in high school because I was very shy. A lot of people have a hard time believing this, the ones that know me now, but it was because I did that, that it helped me get to a place that i could better connect with people let's talk about cell phones
3: you want me to tell the ernie story
4: what's the ernie <laughs> story do tell a story about ernie manuse i love him so much i do too we all love Ernie. he'll, he'll
3: never live this down. And no he won't i was doing a one-man cabaret show at main street this was oh my god several years several years ago evening of song and stories so i was right near the end of singing not while i'm around from sweeney todd which is a very soft gentle and it ends like very it ends very softly so i'm about ew, eight bars from the end and the cell phone starts going off <laughs> and i can see out of the corner of my eye because ernie was sitting on the front row in his sunglasses thank you ernie manoos <laughs> Um, You know, I can see it's him fumbling for the device to turn it off. Once the song concluded, I looked right over at him. I said, Ernie, was that you?
4: (laughs) (laughs) He will never live that down. He will never live that down. Well, when I was at Palm Sugar, someone's phone rang. It may have been an alarm because if you silence your phone, but you have an alarm set, it will still ring. So people, when you go to the theater turn your phone yeah. off yeah. and please do not sit there and be scrolling or texting no. oh, that makes or, me crazy. It, it, you're in a dark room mm-hmm. and those lights is very distracting it's right. not respectful to the other and, audience members it's and not respectful on to the
2: stage exactly. all the actors on stage can see it yeah. right so it's it, not like you're just disturbing the Audience, you are distracting the players on stage. exactly to see what you're doing.
4: So, please Houston stop doing it. yeah Just, I
2: Just. did a show one time, uh, Ron Jones directed it. It oh, was me, and, me Jezebel. and Jezebel. Yep. And we were doing it in the theater in Galveston, which is a beautiful theater. But it's only a two-person show and half of the show I'm narrating to the audience. I'm talking directly to the audience about what's happening. And first of all, somebody came in late while I was talking so of course I can't ignore it because they're in the front row so of course everybody has to move so I stopped and I acknowledged them and I said oh um okay well take your seat can I get you anything like a watch (laughs) so everybody laughed at that so then I go back to the story and they're embarrassed and they're sitting there well doesn't somebody's phone go off right there in the second row and I went are you kidding (laughs) give me your phone Give me your phone, and then I yelled into it. We're doing a show, <laughs> so I, I told people. I said, "You know what?" Uh, and they, everybody, clapped, and uh, they were embarrassed. And uh, I looked right at them, and I said, "Well, you'll never make that mistake again, now, will you?" <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, I would have been so mortified. I had
2: a friend of mine in New York. He put a personal ringtone on his phone. He programmed it in and it's a cough. So if he ever forgets to turn it off in the theater, it's just a cough. And I thought, well, that was
3: okay. was kind of clever. You know, even, even aside from just the rudeness of it, it, uh, what a lot of people don't understand is that with the technology, with miking, the signal interrupts the mics. So it, it actually is, hurting the performance if mm-hmm. if uh, even if they're just on yeah. the signal will, will get in the way
4: we're talking with deborah hope and joel sandell Actors and wonderful people here in Houston that you can see. We're wonderful people. We're they are wonderful like people, and you can see them at various performances coming up in this year. Plus, you can check out Car Takes on YouTube. Go to YouTube, look for Car Takes with Deborah and Joel. What is the mission of Car Takes, and, and what do you want to happen with it?
2: The mission is really just to promote Houston theater. That was our our goal from the beginning and just make people excited about it and bring people in and all the things that you want to hear about theaters and performances and all of that. We want to, we want to hear those things too. Right. So that was the goal. Let's just promote it. And then I guess about halfway through maybe six months in, we were thinking, this might be able to be monetized if we get enough if you get enough subscribers yeah, that you
3: have to get to a thousand we're at seven hundred yeah 737 subscribers now
2: can you imagine that we're doing something that we love about something that we love that we love to be a part of and we're gonna get paid yeah yeah let's give that a try <laughs>
3: because because prostitution isn't
4: working for me anymore not me
2: anymore either.
4: <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you being with us tonight on Queer Voices.
3: Oh, thank you so
4: much, Debra. Thank
2: Deborah.
1: you, Debra.
0: Martha, what that feller on the wireless just say? Something about him interwebs? You don't have to ask Martha. We've got all the names, dates, and webpage links for people, events, and anything else mentioned in the show right on our own website. It's QueerVoices.org. We even link to past shows and other tidbits of information, so check it out. QueerVoices.org. Besides, Martha is a cat. She doesn't know anything about websites.
6: I'm Melanie Keller
0: and I'm John Dyer
5: V
6: with News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending November 19th, 2022. One member of an Italian lesbian couple will not have to be listed as the father on their child's ID documents. The ruling by a court in Rome comes much to the chagrin of recently installed far-right Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Meloni. As Italy's Interior Minister, Maloney changed the way parents or legal guardians are listed on the ID cards required for all minors. Prior to 2019, there was no gender designation, but Maloney mandated that a mother and father be named. One of the women in the lawsuit gave birth to a baby girl, who was then adopted by her spouse the judge in the case decided that forcing one of them to be identified as the father on their child's ID documents was nonsensical. Although the case was decided in September, according to Reuters, it was publicized just this week by Familia Arcobaleno, Rainbow Families, an LGBTQ parents' rights group. The ruling only applies to the plaintiff couple. Rainbow Families stressed that other queer parents would have to file their own lawsuits to challenge the required gender designations until the current rules are changed. Maloney's government is not in a hurry to do that. It's unable to appeal the ruling because it was issued during Italy's previous administration, which declined. The new government is reviewing the decision very carefully, claiming that it puts the national identification system at risk.
5: Sick? Queer? Beware of Texas, where healthcare providers are perfectly within their rights to refuse to serve LGBTQ people. Trump-appointed U.S. District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek rejected the Biden administration's assertion that the U.S. Supreme Court's 2020 Bostock decision, by implication, also covered health care. That ruling found that the Employment Discrimination Protections in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 extended to LGBTQ people. Two doctors challenged that interpretation. Kaczmarek decided that anti-bias protections in the Affordable Care Act only apply to discrimination based on sex at birth, not on gender identity or sexual orientation. He said that Congress had the option to specifically include those characteristics, but had not. The doctors were represented by America First Legal. It describes its mission to oppose the radical left's anti-jobs, anti-freedom, anti-faith, anti-borders, anti-police, and anti-American crusade. It was founded by notoriously anti-everybody Trump administration official Stephen Miller. The Biden administration has not yet issued a public response to the ruling.
6: Several countries are flying with pride to the World Cup in Qatar as concerns mount for the well-being of LGBTQ people in attendance. Virgin Atlantic Airlines flew the British team to the Gulf Coast nation on its Airbus A350 Pride plane. It has the name Rainbow on its nose cone and the airline's queer icon, Oscar, in a pair of rainbow-striped sneakers pulling a Union Jack behind him. The German team flew into Qatar aboard a Lufthansa Airlines Airbus A330, nicknamed Fonhansa. It has a colorful mural of different people with their arms around each other, and diversity Wins" emblazoned on its fuselage, according to The Independent. A video announcement naming the members of the Swiss squad reportedly included a same-gender couple holding hands. Islam is Qatar's predominant religion, and Muslim men found guilty of private consensual adult gay sex can be executed. Queer couples have specifically been cautioned against public demonstrations of affection during the tournament. The government has warned that rainbow flags will be confiscated to keep World Cup visitors safe.
5: The U.S. men's national team is protesting Qatar's homophobia with rainbow colors on the badge that's displayed at their World Cup hotel. In media areas, and at social gatherings. It's not on the players' uniforms, however. U.S. coach Greg Berhalter explained during a media conference this week that the team's Be The Change campaign was launched soon after the murder of George Floyd while in police custody. Its goal includes LGBTQ people.
6: It's not just stateside that we want to bring attention to social issues. It's also um, abroad. And, you know, we recognize that Qatar has made strides and there has been a ton of progress, but there's still some, some work to do. And it's just about be the change basically represents everyone's um, individual opportunity to, to make change and to have
0: change start with them. So I think it's appropriate that we have it here as well.
6: The World Cup kicks off this week.
5: Professional basketball has its second proudly gay player. Former University of Kentucky Center, Isaac Humphreys, is now a Melbourne United big man. His social media post coming out to his teammates this week makes him an even bigger man. Humphreys describes his despair in the closet. He attempted suicide before coming to terms with his identity. Now he's shooting to help others around the world who are struggling. That's my goal behind this. Uh, make sure people know that you can be whatever you want,
3: no matter who you are or what you do. You can be big ice and be gay, and you can
2: still be a great basketball player and be gay. You can do whatever you want. It has nothing to do with your sexuality or who who you are or who you're meant to be or who you're expected to
3: be. I just want to be myself. I've discovered this is my purpose in life, and I'm going to
5: give it my best go. His coaches and teammates responded positively, and Humphrey's coming out has been almost universally praised. Another gay center preceded Humphreys. Jason Collins, of the New York Nets, became the first active pro basketball player to come out in 2013. The 24-year-old Humphreys is averaging 12 points and 5.5 rebounds. He leads Australia's National Basketball League with 1.9 blocks per game.
6: Finally...
0: I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman!
6: That's the singular voice of Kevin Conroy, who died on November 10th after a brief battle with cancer. He began portraying the caped crusader in Batman, the animated series, in 1992, and eventually appeared in more than 400 TV episodes, a dozen related films, and some two dozen video games. Conroy wrote about his character in Finding Batman, a special Pride comic this year. He said, I've often marveled at how appropriate it was that I should land this role. As a gay boy growing up in the 1950s and 60s in a devoutly Catholic family, I'd grown adept at concealing parts of myself. Conroy also appeared in live-action roles on a range of TV shows, including Dynasty, Cheers, Murphy Brown, and Matlock. Tributes from fans and fellow performers overflowed social media. Conroy was 66 years old. He is survived by his husband, Vaughn C. Williams, and siblings, Trisha and Tom.
5: That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending November 19, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community.
6: News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chupel, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you.
5: Thank you! Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast, and much more. For This Way Out, I'm John Dyer V.
6: Stay healthy. And I'm Melanie Keller. Stay safe.
5: This just in from
3: Colorado Springs, Colorado. We are actively processing the scene at Club Q. Police Chief Adrian Vasquez. Initial evidence and interviews indicate that the suspect entered Club Q and immediately began shooting at people inside as he moved further into the club. While the suspect was inside of the club, at least two heroic people inside the club confronted and fought with the suspect and were able to stop, stop the suspect from continuing to kill and harm others. Before those club patrons disarmed and beat him with his own gun, the shooter who opened fire in the LGBTQ bar around midnight on November 19th had murdered five people and injured 25. Club Q's proprietors are calling the attack a hate crime, and the county district attorney is determining whether to prosecute it as such. The FBI is assisting the investigation. We'll continue to report on this developing
0: story. (music) This has been Queer Voices, which is now a home-produced podcast and available from several podcasting sources. Check our webpage, QueerVoices.org, for more information. Queer Voices executive producer is Brian Lavinka. Andrew Edmondson and Deborah Moncrief-Bell are frequent contributors. The News Wrap segment is part of another podcast called This Way Out, which is produced in Los Angeles. Some of the material in this program has been edited to improve clarity and runtime. This program does not endorse any political views or animal species. Views, opinions, and endorsements are those of the participants and the organizations they represent. In case of death, please discontinue use and discard remaining product. For Queer Voices, I'm Glenn Holt.